Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Good morning and welcome to Out of the Blue on Sunday 27th of January 2019. You're listening to 3CR Community Radio, 855 on your AM dial, or you can have a listen from our website, www.3cr.org.au forward slash Radio Blue, from where you can stream our broadcast, and you'll also find a number of previously aired episodes that have been uploaded as podcasts. You can also find us on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Out of the Blue Radio. We acknowledge the uh, traditional custodians of the land 3CR is broadcasting from and pay our respects to their elders and those peoples past, present and emerging. My name is Andrew Christie from Melbourne Polytechnic and Marine Care Point Cook and nice day in Melbourne today, uh, 25 degrees, the top temperature with winds from the southwest, a good day for getting out and about in the water. But as usual, uh, be very careful if you're out and about on our beautiful waterways in the state of Victoria. Today I'm joined in the studio by Kate Goring-Smith, who is a Melbourne-based artist who has a particular interest in in birds, more specifically shorebirds and seabirds, which is why I've invited her into the studio today. Kate, how are you? I'm very well, thanks Andrew. Thanks so much for having me on the show. No worries at all. Thanks so much for coming in. So today we'll be discussing Kate's background and experiences in art and how it connects to the natural environment. And we'll be back after this brief announcement. 
I'm Philippe Cousteau from Earth Echo International, and you're listening to Out of the Blue, 855 AM, 3CR's Marine and Ocean News Program. You certainly are listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM. Okay, uh, Kate, can you give us a bit of an outline about, uh, you know, what your key interests are in shorebirds and how it, how it got to this point and a bit of, a, bit of a snapshot of your, uh, your life story, if you could? Um, <clears throat> well, so two, I guess two things are sort of key uh, to begin with. Uh, one is I'm a printmaker, uh, which is a, a particular kind of art form, um, old-fashioned, like lino cuts and etchings and things like that. That's what I do. And um, my background, and I did a degree in printmaking here in Melbourne at RMIT, and uh, I also worked for six years with BirdLife Australia. Right. So uh, back in the 1990s. And um, I came to migratory shorebirds in particular uh, in my artwork uh, when uh, I'd, I'd spent time with my family. Three years we'd lived in, in England. And when we came back, um, we just had a hard time settling in. And I'd never really expected uh, – we prepared and, and, you know, talked to the children and everything about going to England. But it was actually coming home that was much harder because you expect – because it's home and you have a house and all the rest of it, you're just going to, you know, go back into the flow. But all the children's friends were three years older. They had different friends. You know, everything had changed. Yep. Um, and so I start. I wanted to do work about – and also my parents um, – they migrated uh, to Australia from England in 1966, the year I was born. Right. And my dad died the year we came back from England. So there was a whole lot in the melting pot. And a lot of it was about the idea of homelessness, not homelessness, but I guess a, a, a disconnect between what you think of as home and where you belong and ideas like that. So I wanted to go back to doing some art about it because art's always a good way to work through um, things you're going through. Yep. And I... I chanced at that point upon migratory shorebirds right. that spend um, most of the year on our shores in Australia and, and New Zealand from October to May. But every single year of their adult lives, they then fly up the coast of Asia and they breed in Alaska and Siberia. It's a 25,000 kilometre round trip. Oh and these beautiful birds, these amazing birds, which are very, very poorly sort of known in the general population on the whole, they're really hard to see because they're so well camouflaged. Right. But the fact that they have this biological um, instinct to spread their lives between two halves of the globe, that was just the perfect metaphor to talk about, um, you know, this feeling of having one foot in another country and, you know, in, in two different countries, I guess. Uh, and, you know, for people like my mum who are actually migrants, um, you know, imagine how much harder it must be. And then sort of it opened a window for me into thinking, well, gosh, if you, you know, if you can't go back to the country you came from because of war or whatever, or strife. Um, so, yeah, so sort of through my own experiences and through migratory shorebirds, they just suddenly opened up a world of, of connecting both human experiences of, of migration and... Um, and natural experience of migration, but also this appreciation for the, the shoreline and the habitat where the birds live. Amazing. That's uh, really, <laughs> really interesting how that all, all comes in and ties in together. Yeah. I think, um, yes, I mean, obviously it's a hot topic around these parts at 3CR, but um, yesterday, Australia Day, um, a lot of uh, people around here call it Invasion Day. Of course. But yeah. um, I was actually out on the uh, the monument. At, they've got the migration monument out at uh, Point Cook. Yes, at Chief the Wetlands. Park. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Cheatham Wetlands. It's such a and, and nice, clear, sunny day yesterday. I climbed up on top of the monument and had a look around, oh, and it fantastic. is just absolutely gorgeous because you've got, like you said, Cheatham Wetlands. You've got Port Phillip Bay right there. You can see 360 degrees right around you. The new estate's going in, everything. And uh, that's a, so that's a very rich area as far as shorebirds go. Yeah, and yeah. that's a Ramsar site. Yes, yeah, yeah as yeah. well. So very, very important. Absolutely. Can you tell for the benefit of our listeners, because uh, that terminology gets sort of bandied around a lot, what's a, what's a Ramsar uh, site? So Ramsar is a place in... Iran? Iran, yep. yes. And so it's not an acronym. Uh, and it's an agreement that was uh, covenanted, I guess, in 1971. Um, and it's the only international agreement to preserve a particular habitat type. Right. So it's it's to preserve wetlands. Yep. Um, I think we have 63 Ramsar sites in Australia. Right. I think in Victoria we've got about 13, right. maybe? Right. 11? I'm not sure about the exact Somewhere number. About that. that. Yep. Uh, and it's... Um, yeah, so it, it's it's a wetland of international significance. It often has very specific. Um, I think it has to have at least one percent of the world's population of a species. Um, they're not all related to migratory shorebirds because we've got Ramsar sites inland as well. So it's to do with the um, the biodiversity of the place and that it's an internationally significant site. Right, and it's so, really hard to yeah. get that sort of listing. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So it's quite a privilege. So a lot of the birdos would uh, would love getting out to areas like Cheatham Wetlands and, Absolutely. and Point Cook Yeah, Coastal and Western Park. Port's another one. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Uh, specific, whereabouts in Western Port? All of it. Right, right. Yeah. The whole, wow. Yeah, I think it all is. It's also a UN biosphere, oh, Western yep. Port. Yep. I don't really know what that means, but yeah, it sounds yeah, so cool. Impressive. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it certainly is. Oh, that's excellent. So just um, now, one of the things that really stood out, I, I should, for the benefit of our listeners too, um, just go through some of what uh, what Kate's been involved in because I've been lucky enough to kick along to some of the uh, the fantastic art exhibitions that she's uh, hosted. Uh, overwintering, the Overwintering Project, uh, mapping, mapping Sanctuary, um, was held at the Wyndham Art Gallery in Werribee and Kate also addressed an audience as part of a panel for the regular Artists in Conversation events that were likewise held at the Wyndham Art Gallery and Cultural Centre. And uh, in that it was, it was raised that there's that, uh, what you're alluding to before, Kate, the East Asian Australasian Flyway, it's called. Yeah. So that's basically the super highway where all the birds transit. Absolutely. And I mean, shorebirds are only one group of birds that use it. There's all sorts of water birds and other birds. So there's about nine flyways around the globe. They go generally north-south. Um, and our flyway that Australia is part of is called the East Asian Australasian Flyway. Uh, we have the highest uh, rate of, um, it's the most endangered flyway basically, it's under the most threat because of the booming economies uh, that are part of the flyway. And uh, do, you want, do you want to know the countries? Absolutely, yes. <laughs> now they're what, 23? 23, what? Wow. yeah. So, and these are, what it means is these are places the birds have been recorded stopping. So you take one of the, the these countries out of the, the chain and it's broken, the chain is broken. So our migratory shorebirds rely on on habitat in each one of these countries to do their annual migrations. Right. Um, so the countries are the USA and it's specifically Alaska, Russia, which is Siberia, mm -hmm. Mongolia, China, North Korea, South Korea, Japan, the Philippines, Vietnam, Laos, Thailand, Cambodia, Myanmar, Bangladesh, India, Malaysia, Singapore, Brunei, Indonesia, Timor-Leste, 
Papua New Guinea, Australia and New Zealand. That is incredible. Yeah. So they, they transit that whole area. That's yeah. And, and what you were saying before, about 25,000 kilometres. Yeah, about, back all, all the round trip. Return, yeah, God. Yeah. That and they just, often go all the way um, to like Taiwan or – actually, Taiwan's not on there. I feel it should be um, – yeah. fly all the way to – to China in in one stint, and uh, Bartold Godwit was recorded um, flying all the way back from Siberia to New Zealand in one go, uh, to eight days and nights. And yes, yeah, she didn't. She fl- they flap all the way. They don't have um, they don't have waterproofed feathers like ducks, so they can't land on the water. They right. don't have um, webbed feet. Right. So they, you know, once they're over a stretch of water, they have to keep they going, keep basically. Going. <laughs> yeah, they keep on going. God. Yeah. It's amazing, isn't it? Uh, do you know of any studies that have been done that sort of have, have worked out, like, how how the hell they managed to transit such massive areas over, uh, you know, in terms of their, the, I don't know, their physiology, physiology and their morphology? Yeah, they? it's just amazing. There's quite So we've got 36 species of migratory shorebird. The biggest is the eastern curlew, which is also the most endangered, which I think from sort of it, it's its beak is about as long as its body and um, from tail to the end of its bill I think it's about 45 centimetres right. and then the smallest is the red neck stint which only weighs as much as a Tim Tam right. 28 grams Wow! Um, and what they do is when they're heading off they feed up and feed up basically they spend the summer eating yeah. that's what they do yep. by the time they're ready to go they weigh about twice as much as their normal body weight right and so they're just like these little butter balls <laughs> and then they do this amazing physiological thing where their um, digestive system basically just shuts down and atrophies while they do the migratory flight right because then it weighs less um, they they manage to not have to drink on the wing because they're metabolising their fat into water. Right. And they um, take what's called micro-sleeps. So they like shut half their brain down at a time. Wow. Very briefly. So all of these extraordinary things, you know, come together to make them these amazing little machines that just can do this Gee. extraordinary journey. That's incredible. So it's basically a, a sort of... Rings true with me a bit, I think. Like uh, just the fact that it feels like what I've done during the festive season has become this fat little butterball. <laughs> and, and now, now you can migrate. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's amazing. So I'm, I'm presuming that their their bones and so on are, are fairly um, uh, lightweight. Would that be fair to say? I'd say so. Yeah, I don't know exactly, but most birds have um, hollow bones. Yes. Yes. yes to, so to make them lighter. Makes sense so they can yeah. uh, transit these enormous areas and it's all based on efficiency. And then, uh, yeah, so they get up in the air and then and basically a great big fat burn and yeah. uh, that's amazing though the one basically sleeping with one eye open oh, no. that's enough just to keep them powering along yeah and they, keep they them going not off halfway that's uh, absolutely incredible stuff isn't it I, I guess once you find a bit more about these things then you uh, once you find out a bit more about the birds then what you'll find invariably is that all it does is open more and more questions absolutely and, uh, oh, incredible yeah. stuff has there been um, much efforts put into tagging the birds and, and fitting electronic tags and yeah so there's been tagging for many 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 years since sort of the 70s and it's it's developed from like the little metal um, rings that go on the bird's leg uh, which you'd actually have to find the bird again to read it then they were doing um, plastic plastic rings and now they do plastic leg flags so with really good binoculars or a telescope you can actually read the code they have combinations of colors of leg flags which um, signals where the bird was banded so if you band a bird at flinders um, and then they see it in China, they know exactly where it's come from. Yep. Um, and 
they do they can put geolocators on birds now, which again is um, you have to actually retrieve the geolocator to it, it's it's tiny, it's attached to the leg flag, it's glued on. Right. Um, and that records light and dark, but given that anywhere in the world has a very specific amount of daylight a ratio to nighttime, from that data they tell where exactly the bird is. Apparently from geolocators they can also tell whether it's been in water and whether it's um, laid, it's had a successful um, clutch or not because of of the time in darkness sitting on the eggs because, of course, once they're up in Siberia, it's 24 hours daylight. So it must be that contrast. And they've also got, but again, all these things are more and more expensive, um, so there are fewer and fewer, but the most expensive is the satellite trackers, but they're really good because... um, you can get the data without getting the bird back because it's relaying the data via satellite. Yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're doing um, – uh, so there are, there are bird organisations all over Australia. There's the Austra- Australian Wader Studies Group, which is a special interest group of BirdLife Australia. They're always working on, on tracking birds. There's the, but there's also all around Australia there's different groups and they're all doing tracking and monitoring all the time yeah. to try and work out because you can't – and, and all along the flyway as well. There's a, a group called the East Asian Australasian Flyway Partnership and that's trying to conserve all the habitat along the flyway and it's NGOs and businesses and local groups um, all coming together to try and keep these birds uh, um, that use the flyway flying. Yeah, right. That yeah. segues beautifully into my next question. In, in terms of you know the 23 or more countries that they're transiting, uh, what do we find are some of the key threats um, that, that face birds today? Throughout the flyway, it's habitat degradation. Yep. And like, um, you know, a lot of the birds stop. It's really key, important habitat is the Yellow Sea, which is bounded by China and North and South Korea. Uh, and then about something like 70% of the uh, mudflats there have been reclaimed because, of course, as the economies boom, um, you need ports yep. and, you know, you need places to live. And, and like, it, it's very easy to point a finger and say, oh, you can't do that. Yeah. But we're doing it all the time here in Australia as well. Yep. Um, there's a development that they're trying to put through uh, in Toondah Harbour, which is a Ramsar site, and they're trying to put a big development up there and, like, it's a Ramsar site. It just should be a flat no yep. right from the get-go. It's also covered by three international migratory bird agreements. Yes. Um, so, and, and if you talk to anyone from any city in Australia, they'll say, oh, yeah, there used to be swamp here or there used to be a lake or there used to be this. And it, it's just been people, I think, have traditionally undervalued wetlands. They see it as empty land much like grasslands yes um it's not your beautiful golden beach so they see it as a place that you can use for other activities um yeah so that's that's the main that's, thing. That's the key. Yeah, so, and it's just ongoing. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, it doesn't take much. Uh, if, if you were to take, theoretically, then a Ramsar site and and turn it into a, into a you know, build a jetty or turn it into a harbour or a marina or something, then then presumably what you're doing is you're risking a break in that chain you were dis- discussing that's before. That's right. And it wouldn't take much to really stuff up the migratory queues. And, no. Uh, yeah. and, it, and, you know, people say, oh, but they can fly, they can just go somewhere else. But if you think that you've been coming back Back and your ancestors have been coming back to this one spot, say Moreton Bay, where the, the eastern curlew comes to, which is the most endangered bird as it is, mm-hmm. um, and you've just flown 
you know, 12,500 kilometres, which you've done for generations, yep. you've completely de- depleted all those food stores. How are you going to find somewhere to fly to that has the, you know, the prey species that you rely on? Yes. You know, at that point. Uh, so Exactly. So if you've been on the on the road, for, if you drive, it's like a, exactly. an analogy driving a car for six to eight hours, and now the fuel indicator is saying you really need fuel. Yeah, and the truck stop and closed the, down. And that's it. There's no petrol stations no. for another three hundred k's. Yeah, you what the hell do you do? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. Gee, so that's uh, yeah, some real food for thought there. That's mm. uh, that's pretty amazing. All right, we might um, we might cut to a song just quickly. This is uh, an app title, I think. It's called "The Eagle Will Rise Again" from the Alan Parsons huh? Project. Let's have a listen. We know you love our 3CR Radical Radio t-shirts and so do we. They're 100% cotton and Australian made and you can get one for just $30. They come in black, dark grey and a cool light grey. To nab one of these beauties, drop into the station at 21 Smith Street or order by phoning 94198377 or you can visit us online at 3cr.org.au forward slash shop. Come on, you know you want one. You're listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. So, Kate, you've got some uh, some interesting events coming up where people can get involved in the whole bird side of things and art and so on. Can you tell our listeners what those are? Thanks, Andrew. Yeah, uh, so I've got this ongoing project called the Overwintering Project. Uh, you can look it up at uh, um, theoverwinteringproject.com. Uh, and it's an, it's an open invitation to people who would like to make prints about their local migratory shorebirds and migratory shorebird habitat. Uh, we've got a wo- workshop coming up to do some printmaking at the Wood Street Art Space in Laverton uh, on Saturday, February the, the 9th. It's a free workshop. It goes from 12 to 4.30. Um, I'm going to be there, Rob Mancini, local artist, and Elise Roberts, an amazing um, screen printer. Uh, you have to RSVP via the Wood Street Art Space Facebook page. Um, and then there's going to be exhibitions, which will be posted on the, the website. Um, and they're coming up. There's one in Anglesey at the Art House Printmakers Surf Coast Art Space uh, from the 8th of April. Uh, Hobson's Bay World Migratory Bird Day. We're going to be having an art exhibition there this year, which will feature the prints we make at Wood Street Art Space. Wow. Um, yep, and that's going to be at the Joel Gallery in Altona from the 10th of May. Right. Um, and then all the prints, the way the project worked, works is artists go out into their local shorebird habitat. They make a print uh, in relation to whatever grabs them about the habitat and then they come to me and I'm organising various core exhibitions that then show all the prints and the next one's going to be in Coffs Harbour in December. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... so, yeah, get in touch if you're interested um, because it's it's ongoing. <laughs> yep, yep. Oh, very good. Just uh, in terms of the ongoing nature of it all, the Hobson's Bay, that was Hobson's Bay Migratory Shorebird Day. Day, yeah. How long has that one been going for? I think it? about five years. It's sort of right. been growing. Uh, so it's mainly at the Hub, yep. which is in, in – um, oh, I can't remember the name of the street, but uh, it's where the library is in Hobson's Bay. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the weekend of World Migratory Bird Day, which I think is sort of the 11th and 12th of May. Right. Uh, it's on the Saturday, whichever that Saturday is, and uh, there's activities for kids. There's usually singing. There's 
um, I'm there with my little press. We do some printmaking, make cards and things. And, and oh, it's just right. uh, Jackie Karen does her wonderful storytelling about Tales from the Flyway. There's all sorts of stuff going on and everybody can come and it's just a free activity for people to come and enjoy talking about shorebirds and other wonderful things yeah fantastic oh, very uh, very interesting stuff and you've got a nice website that our uh, um, listeners can check out as well oh me personally yes yeah. it's just called Kate Gorringe Smith with no hyphen uh, and that's got yeah my my work and um, I'm also represented by Port Jackson Press very close to here in a, a part of the James Macon gallery it is now right uh, in Oxford Street uh-huh. that's, uh huh uh, Collingwood Collingwood yeah Oxford. yep right. and um yeah. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Well, uh, there you go, people. Check it out. That's some uh, some very interesting events coming up, which is always nice when we're uh, talking about a topic that you can go and uh, get involved in and check it out. Some really fascinating stuff there. Great to, great to hear. All right. Well, that brings us to the end of the show for another week. Thanks so much, Kate, for coming into the studio. Oh, thanks for having me, Andrew. It's been lovely. No problem at all. Um, you've been listening to Out of the Blue on 3CR Community Radio, 8.55am. Sally's up next with Out of the Pan and enjoy the rest of your Sunday.